Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. I just got back from seeing the G League Ignite team in person in Delaware against the Delaware Bluecoats. And so naturally, any sort of emptying the notebook segment, whether it be on the morning dunk for no ceilings or it be on this podcast, any segment about the G League has to include Corey Tulliba from the Draft Act podcast. And of course, it's recording on a Monday, so you already know who's here as well. Tyler Rucker, a.k.a. Backcourt Violation, is once again reporting for duty for the Draft Deeper podcast. Corey, I'll start with you. How you doing? I am terrific, man. I, it's been a big night. You know, hopped on the No Ceilings podcast for the first time. You know, I, I told Metcalf on the podcast, uh, you know, he was the first guest that I ever had for the Draft Act podcast, and somehow I'm I'm the last possible uh draft twitter guest that he could possibly get on uh, a platform that we share so uh it's been a, a fun evening that i finally got to live out my dream of of appearing there with uh rucker but i'm i'm excited now to to switch it over and and hop on draft deeper and pull double duty it's fine i mean it, it only took metcalf for like a year and a half to actually get on my podcast so it's, it's fine but rucker how, how you feeling over there big guy i'm i'm good you know like like Corey said we just did a great pod with Metcalf and it felt weird realizing I've been on that podcast like four times before Corey was on once. So, yeah. you know, um, I'm, I'm more pumped for this though. No offense, Metcalf, cause draft deeper, baby. It's been a minute and I'm pumped to get after it. Talk some G league guys with Corey. It's fine. He, he doesn't return the favor for me either. I think I've only been on the no ceilings pod once. So it's, it's, it's fine. Whatever he wants to have me on, he can, he can reach out and then I'll reject him for, for good measure. And then we'll, then, then we'll get back on it. So we'll, we'll teach him a lesson. <laughs> we're, we're very mature over at the draft. Deeper. If, if you heard our last podcast, our mock draft with Simon Rath and Tyler, where Simon immediately just blurts out, fuck the Kings at the very beginning of the podcast, then you know that we are, we are very mature professional draft deeper at all times, but great bulls, great bulls pick on that episode. <laughs> I forgot, yeah, who I forgot who made it. Was that you? I think I think that was me, the pick for the Bulls, yeah. No. I'm pretty sure that was me. Toot your own horn, huh? Of course. So we, we are going to try to be a little professional, though. As I said at the top, I recently just saw the G League Ignite team the week before. Corey also saw them in Long Island. So we have some firsthand impressions to go over. We're, we're basically at the end of the G League Ignite season. They played through the, the the Vegas Cup, if you want to call it that, and then they've had some exhibition games after um, their time in Las Vegas. And obviously results have been up and down, hit and miss for some of the guys on this team, namely Jane Hardy, who I feel like we have to start with. He's the most divisive prospect amongst these guys. I, I think for the most part, the other three that we're going to talk about have Gained a lot of positive buzz over the course of this G League night season, but Hardy has suffered the most in terms of his draft stock. Unless you're Adam Spinella over at the Box and One, or you're one of us, you had you may have Jane Hardy outside of the top twenty. I've seen Jane Hardy as low as like the fifties on some public draft Twitter boards, which seems incredibly drastic to me. Yes, it but. Does. However, that being said, Corey, I want to start with you first because 
I did not get to see Jane Hardy play. He did not play against the Bluecoats, but you saw him throw up an absolute stinker in terms of shooting. I believe he was 0 for 11 from the field. But we do know sometimes it's not always fair to fully judge a prospect's performance off of the box score numbers. But that being said, how did you feel about seeing Jane Hardy in person? What were some of the takeaways you had? Uh, well, first, Nate, before I get started, I just want to correct you that I saw Jaden Hardy on Long Island, not in. For anybody that may be listening that is from Long Island, they uh, probably uh, are furious at you. So I just want to correct that so that they can go on listening to the rest of this episode um, in enjoyment rather than uh, anger. My impression of Hardy uh, coming off of that game and having him follow that up with a 31-point heater is exactly why I wrote about Jaden Hardy for No Ceilings, comparing uh, how he makes me feel to the brilliant episode of Saved by the Bell, Jessie's song, where she gets addicted to caffeine pills and sings out, I'm so excited, I'm so excited, I'm so scared. Because it's the games like I saw against the Nets where... He can't throw anything in, in the ocean. Didn't need, wasn't even really knocking a ton of shots down in warm-ups. Mm-hmm. Cannot make the right read for the life of him. Uh, I mean, just turnovers and forcing the action and just looks completely overmatched. And then you watch him a couple of days later, and he's just... He looks exactly like the guy who I had number one on my board in the preseason where you're like, oh my God, this dude is an unbelievable shot maker. He's got the prettiest jumper in the draft. It looks like it'll never touch the rim. And he's this dynamic downhill scoring threat on top of all the the shooting. So, I I mean, if anything, all he's done this week is confuse me even more. And, you know, seeing him in person, I, I definitely wasn't impressed. It's hard to be when you see somebody go 0 for 11 and struggle like that. but you can't argue the kid's got talent and he's got lottery talent. It's just like my, my entire outlook on him is like what situation does he go to and what culture is he going to walk into and can they cultivate the type of player that he could potentially be? Uh, because the kid has all of the tools. You, you know that when we do in-person evaluations, it's not just to, watch the game itself but it's also to get a look at these guys get a feel for how they look physically you know get a feel for them in warm-ups see what their shot looks like but when you got to look at hardy outside of the game just physically Corey, does he does he look like he's ready to to handle the the nba two guard position i i mean i think he's got a phenomenal build he, he's got big broad shoulders he's he's cut up um he's lean but he, in a good way you know, he's he's got like, you know, one of the reasons I compared him or like in the preseason to uh, a Jason Tatum Dame hybrid was because I thought he had like the same frame as Tatum. He was just shorter. So uh, I was impressed with what he looked like physically, but I do think that he is probably, you know, in that Bradley Beal height range where he's more of like a six foot three undersized two guard than he is kind of you were hoping that he'd be six five six six like the prototypical shooting guard size so i i was uh 
I mean, and not that that will stop him. There's a lot of dynamic guards right. in that height range. It's not like we're talking Kennedy Chandler here. Um, <laughs> you know, so, but I, I do think he looked a little shorter than I expected, but physically he looked awesome. He's in killer shape and he's got a great NBA frame to grow into. So obviously, Rucker, we come back to a lot of the shot making or sometimes lack thereof. What you've been able to see on film when, when you've watched some of Jane Hardy, do you think we'd be having a much different conversation if his shooting percentages were better? Or do you think there's more things wrong with his game that have kind of knocked him down boards? I think everyone's a little nervous about the decision making because he's still turning the ball over a bunch, like Corey said. You know, you still see plenty of games where he's turning the ball over four to five times at least, and it's consecutive games doing that. But you know, I also think he's been making some strides with, you know, his reads throughout the year. And you're starting to see the percentages come alive. You're starting to see that, you know, hilarious enough, like Corey saw the one game he goes 0 for 11. And, you know, since January 7th, including that game, he's shooting around 43% from the field, which is impressive when you throw in an 0 for 11 game. So, I mean, it's it's like... You definitely can see the shot coming alive. You can see the confidence is building. It's just happening slower than we all want it to. But um, I just think the decision-making, if he can limit the turnovers, he has the tools. Like Corey said, like, I haven't been able to see him in person, but I'm, I trust what you and Corey say. Like, seeing that he's got the frame at such a young age, um, just the progressions he's had throughout the year, I know they've got a couple of days before their next game. I think they play the 12th is their next game coming up for the Ignite. So we'll see if he can build off this stretch and keep heating up and put together a solid stretch of, you know, efficient performances. I definitely still think that this is a guy that can heat up and start moving up again. But this evaluation is turning into, you know, you check yourself into a mental hospital after doing this for too long because I was a guy like Corey, like I had him top five beginning of the year. Then I've moved yeah, we him all down do. and you know, now I'm, I want to move him back up. So you're just going to have to go with your gut with this guy and look at the whole slate. You're going to have to say, okay, from the beginning to the end of the year, like, did he get better? Did he take notable leaps forward? And I, I think he's on that path to doing that. Corey, I don't, I don't think we would call him a great defender in the backcourt by any means, but was there anything in particular that stood out to you on that end of the floor? Cause that's probably the one area, the one part to his evaluation where I don't have the best feel for him. I don't know if you had any other insight in terms of anything that might've stood out to you seeing him in person. I mean, I think he's got tools to, to defend. I think he plays hard on that end at times. Like, uh, but the, he does have bad habits that date back to his time in high school. Like he yeah. did his classic, like, let me just let the guy blow by me and try to poke it away from behind. And, you know, that's something that you can get away with at lower levels, but you can't get away with in the pros because if he goes to an NBA team with a coach that is actually going to make him earn his development, he's going to do that just let a guy blow by, he's not going to poke it away, and yeah. he's going to put his team in a position where they give up a, a bucket at a disadvantage, and his team's gonna, his coach is going to pull him. So, like, it's stuff like that that I, I wish I saw less of 
Um, I, I don't think that it's he he's a guy that's going to give low effort th- throughout the game, and he certainly has stuff to work on off ball. But I do think that the fact that he's learning NBA defensive principles is helpful because while the college guys on the weak sky, weak side can sink all the way down to the rim and just stay there without getting called for for anything like he's learning what positions he's going to actually be on an NBA floor um so i think that stuff's valuable but i i don't think if you're drafting jaden hardy you're you're looking for him to be a high level defender obviously sure. that would be a great scenario if that played out but uh you look at most of the players like him that you hope he turns into and none of them are going to be this defensive uh foundational piece at the point of attack you just kind of hope that he's in the right spots and you know can contest enough and uh i think he's going to struggle on that end for a while in the nba um because he just has a lot to learn and what he doesn't know he doesn't know but down the line when he's ready to be a big time player if he gets to that level i think he'll be sufficient enough on that end yeah, I would agree with that. I think I don't think he's ever going to be like a positive defensively necessarily. I mean, he he averages over a steal per game, so obviously there there are certain situations where he's been able to play a passing lane, force a turnover. But I don't think he's ever going to be a positive in the way that some other two guards or, or wings, however you want to classify them in this class, um, can definitely affect games on the perimeter defensively. But I think as long as he doesn't sink your team down in such a way defensively. And I think as long as he's showing the effort and the competitiveness possession to possession, and you never see that effort waver from him, I think that's probably about as good as it's going to get for Hardy. Cause obviously we're, we're a lot more focused on what he's doing offensively. And that comes back to the shot making. Is he a combo guard who can initiate offense? Is he the type of guard who you want bringing the ball up the floor every single trip down the floor? No, he's not. Uh, I, I, I think that's pretty much bore itself out. I, he, he's struggled to dribble the ball effectively. He doesn't really have a great handle. But at the same time, he can get downhill. He can get to the basket. He has good footwork once he gets inside the arc. We talk about his ability to hit deep shots from range. I think that a lot of his misses haven't been egregious. I think that he can definitely take better shots in terms of shot selection. But when he's actually gotten up a good look, I haven't seen too many egregious misses from him. He's had a lot. And shout out to Simon, Hawks draft nerd, has pointed this out to Tyler and I multiple times about he has a lot of misses where they just go in and out, right? Like, the, the, I, I can't always say that, oh, he's a bad shooter when, when a lot of those shots, frankly, could have gone either way. And again, if the shooting percentages were better, we'd probably be having a different conversation. At least the general public would absolutely be having a different conversation. So I'm not going to lie. I've seen some egregious misses, you know, and, and part of that is I dove I into said too bunch, many, too I, many. well, and that's why I'm still going to go in. Cause I have seen it. So that's one of the things that worried about, worried him, uh, or worried me about him when I was writing the article and, and watching the film, there's like, he chucks up a lot of air balls and a lot of his misses don't hit the same part of the rim. Um, now, a lot of the times he's creating off the bounce, so he's taking tough shots. But what scares me in that regard is that on a lot of these misses that aren't those pretty in and out misses that you're hoping for, it's like 
he just can't create the separation to cleanly get a, a look at the rim to get those consistent misses. So I was at, it's something that I was actually a little bit worried about because for a shooter like him, who is, who does have a jumper that's so aesthetically pleasing, who does look like he has touch that is so soft, especially when it goes in, some of the misses I was like, all right, he shouldn't be hitting the back side of the, you know, the, the far side of the backboard shooting from the left wing. Like, that's a little worrisome. But uh, that, I think, can be worked out a lot due to how an NBA team is going to use him, whether on ball versus off ball. And, uh, but but I, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go the opposite. I'm going to zag there and say I've seen some misses that frighten me a little bit. So do you think he should be... So, so what what do you think his role ultimately is in the NBA court? Like, is he is he just like an off ball catch shoot type of guy? Do you want him like dribbling the air out of the ball and creating some step back shot off the bounce, kind of like what he did in in high school when we kind of said preseason slash getting into the early part of the ignite season when we last talked, how maybe he should take a few more of those shots because that was something he was comfortable doing, and whether he figures it out or not, at least get him some looks where he kind of like brings himself into the offense and, and becomes a little more comfortable doing some other things. So what, what do you think his role is going to be in the NBA? I don't know what his role is going to be, but if, if he was somebody that I drafted and I was trying to get him to be the ultimate version of what I think his most likely outcome is, I don't think he's a combo guard at all. I wouldn't really be putting the ball in his hands a ton. I would hope that he has a usage that is pretty, I don't know, like 21, 22%, something like that, to where he's getting some on-ball reps to create one-on-one, because I do think he he will be capable of hitting tough shots, but I would hope that that was mostly saved for end-of-shot clock situations, mismatches, rather than walk the ball up the court and fire. Um, But ultimately, I think where he could be really hard to guard is moving off the ball. I think he is not a guy that you would classify as having great feel, but I do think when he's off the ball and he's running off pin downs or floppy action, stuff like that, he's really good at reading how the defender is guarding him and whether he should flare out or whether he should curl. So I, I would want to use him almost like primarily as just causing chaos running off off actions because I think that he is going to be able to use the fact that guys are chasing him to more easily create opportunities at the rim, collapsing defense, and I think it'll simplify the reads that he's shown he's capable of making where you don't have to give him a high ball screen and hope that he can create those. I think that when the defense rotates because he's just ran off uh, a bunch of screen through, you know, and now he's he curled it instead of flaring out this time, and guys are rotating. He can hit the weak side that way. I think that's ultimately his best role. Um, I don't believe that an NBA team is going to draft him to do that, but if I was the NBA team doing that, that's what I would want him to do in the offense. I would not give him the Jalen Green, Anthony Edwards treatment. It's it's kind of like though you're describing a player. Now I think you've been the one to say this in our group as well. Like you're describing a player in the realm of like Ben McLemore. Like that, <laughs> yeah, I said I was jo- <laughs> you know when I mentioned Ben McLemore 2.0, I was almost like joking a little. A you say little bit. almost, but every single thing you just said, <laughs> like not not that we're calling him Ben McLemore 2.0, but yeah, like, that's the yeah. realm of player. That that's the type of role that we're essentially laying out for, for Harden. If it becomes more than that, like, that's great, but... 
I think it's in. more. I think the if you're comparing him to a player, I would more compare him to hopefully uh, a buddy. Can Hill he be as good? I was role. literally just gonna say, can he be as good as Buddy Heel? Like, yeah, that that's okay. that's the kind of role I would try to push him into. Buddy Heald had when he came into the NBA, he was way older and even older than everybody thought he was when he even came into the NBA. So he's got some years on him and uh you know Jaden has the ability to to develop I, I think in that direction. Um but uh, I think there's a real shot that an NBA team drafts him, especially if they're drafting him in the lottery and they are like this is gonna be, you know, our our two guard of the future who's gonna be, have a ton of on ball reps and I've felt less and less comfortable watching him because I know you've you've written about it. Uh, I just don't think he has the handle to that dude cannot dribble the basketball. He, he yeah, can't. and and look, he looked awesome doing it in that thirty-one point outing. Like it he was did. like I, I just got done watching it before we hopped on the podcast. You know, it was it was night and day from the rest of the season. But I I think the one thing I'm trying not to do with that thirty-one point game because I was like, shit, do I have him a little bit too low on my board? I'm trying not to be overreactive. Like if he starts stringing together a few games like this and not, he doesn't have to be 30 point games. It could, he could just start stringing a couple of efficient games. It doesn't even have to be over 20 point games. I just want to see some positive decision-making and efficiency um, and not just like barreling into defenders and, and stuff like that. But I, I, uh, I just don't think he has the handle at this point to consistently break guys down. So I, I don't want him to, to try that at a high level. Sure. You know, on a skit where he's attacking closeouts or attacking gaps. Yeah. I think he, I don't think he's going to dribble the ball off his foot in, in that regard. And I think that he's strong enough to hold on to the ball, taking it to the rim. And he's not afraid to go into a guy's chest, uh, which is good. But uh, ultimately I just don't, I just think we miscalculated what he was coming into the year. And to be fair to him, there's also a chance that he is that guy and COVID really affected his developmental arc and he didn't get to play in, you know, high level ball in the FIBAs. He, his, he opted out of his senior year and he was playing, you know, some whatever AAU games and him being in this system. And in a couple of years from now, an NBA team actually is patient with him and pushes him in the right direction. And he's fucking awesome. And he's the guy he's close to the guy we thought that's, that's also an outcome but uh, I think teams have to be careful with the direction that they, they try to take him in. So, Rucker, if we're talking about a player who we're comparing to Buddy Heald, right, and we're saying that that's probably, like, a really good outcome for him at this point, at least from what we've seen up until now, are you taking that player in the lottery? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still high on him. Uh Okay. I'm a believer that they're putting him in uncomfortable positions. I know it's really annoying and hard when we're evaluating guys like this, but I just think the G League Ignite knew what he was coming in. He was this lethal shooter. They're trying to develop him. I, I think he's going to have a long developmental road that might be a lot longer than other guys. And we know he wasn't a strong ball handler coming into the year. I think they're trying to improve his handles because now he's going to get thrown to the big boys in the NBA. And if you're not developing it this year while he's playing, like then he's just going to have no shot or building any confidence. So I think there's going to be some growing pains. I'm just still very high on him. I wouldn't be surprised if, yes, this is a guy that's going to take a couple of years to finally click when it comes to his whole game. 
I'm in complete agreement with you guys. I don't think he's going to be a guy that I want to have the ball in his hands for a bunch of actions. I think I'm right there with Corey. I think if you're running him off the ball with motion, screens, handoffs, like that's where he could be really dangerous. And I think that's where an NBA team will be like, this is what we want you to do. Like we saw yeah. you working on your handles. You, you took strides. If you're thrown into that position, you can, you can survive. Like before you might not have, but you just got thrown to the wolves when it comes to having to run all these, you know, pick and roll sets, make reads. I think the next team that drafts him will be like, we want this guy just coming in, running off everything, getting catch and shoot opportunities. Like that's where I'd see his next level of success coming. And this could be just perfectly played by the Ignite. They developed him all year. He had these growing pains and all of a sudden things click at the next level, but he's going to be fascinating to watch. You know, I, I hope that this, recent stretch of promising games really starts to click the confidence because he's had, you know, unfortunately Corey saw the one stinker, but he had 18, 30, 29. Corey goes to see him go for 11. Thanks Corey. And then 31 points. So he's starting to come alive a little bit and the numbers are showing. In his defense. Oh, I I was going to say in his defense though, like then not that I'm defending against you guys, but like, when we talk about putting him in these situations to like just catch and shoot or move off the ball and immediately like rise and fire, he when he does when he's able to get it downhill and he only has to take like one dribble, he does have some pretty good footwork getting to the basket. Mm-hmm. Like he'll whip out yeah. some sidestep moves, and when he actually gets as far as the rim and he goes up against contact, he can finish through contact. Like that's another reason why I wanted to ask Corey about the body. Like he he looks to have a pretty good build to him. Like he's strong. He's not. He's a guard who I would have a lot more confidence in finishing those types of shots than I would like a Buddy Hill, for example. So like there are ways in which maybe he can end up being like a Buddy Hill plus, like like be even a little bit better than him in, in that regard. Buddy Hill's a, a good enough player if you put him in the right situation. I mean, Buddy Hill's a guy who average. got paid twenty what twenty plus million dollars a year. So yeah, it's not I like mean, about the a dude. Scrub. The dude's a sniper. He's just in yeah. any any player who's playing in Sacramento is playing in a less than ideal situation, right? So it's not like Buddy Heel can't go to a contending team and have an, a major impact as like a, a microwave scorer on a in a playoff series. Like he can get hot and probably win you a series. My question is though, like if when you're looking at Hardy and we're talking about the role that we potentially envision him and the whatever spot of the draft, like what spot of the draft are you comfortable taking him in? And are you more comfortable if you're GM betting on Hardy? And this, and the good thing is he'll, there's going to be a lot of NBA Intel playing in the ignite system, but like, are you going to argue for Hardy over Agbaji? If you're a GM, who's trying to probably keep their job. Are you, if you're trying to take the upside swing, what is the probability that Max Christie is uh, a guy that is not going to have more success at the NBA level with his stroke, his size, and stuff that he probably hasn't been able to show as a freshman at Michigan State. Like, there are guys that are in that hardy range where it's like, shit, it's, it's not as easy as it should be. And the not as easy as it should be with a guy who was number three on the initial draft act rankings coming into the year that's a tough conversation to have 
when you're looking at those kind of players as guys that, man, I'm not sure if I should take this guy over those other guys. See, Corey, this is why you're a better podcast host than I am. Because you set oh, up stop. You, you set up a perfect segue, like into asking a question. I don't even think you, you mentioned a few good names and we could probably come up with some others, but I don't even think we need to leave his own team to throw in two other guys who could possibly be drafted over him in Dyson Daniels and Marjan Beauchamp. Now you and I both got a chance to see those two guys. But when we talk about size, length, athleticism on the wing, much better defensively to both of them than Hardy. And we start talking about fit in the NBA and what NBA teams are pining to draft. Those two come into the conversation, not even leaving the own, their own team. It's like, why wouldn't you want to draft one of those two guys over Jaden Hardy potentially? Like, Rucker, I know that you, you and I have had conversations about Beauchamp, and we, we've had a few conversations uh, about Daniels. I'd be interested to get Corey's opinion on Daniels as well. But, like, even just talking about Beauchamp, like, which one would you rather draft between the two, Beauchamp or, or Hardy? I'm still leaning Hardy, um, and I love Beauchamp. Um <laughs> But I'm still leaning Hardy just because I, I think the upside is still there. I, I think that's still a home run potentially waiting to happen. It's just been a little bit more of like a a rude awakening for us because we wanted it, him to just set the G League on fire like Scoot Henderson is. But it, it just might be a longer path. And um, I really like the other two that we're going to talk about. But I Talk to me about Beauchamp because I know that he's been one. I, mean, I think he's risen up all of our boards, but I yeah. know that, that you've really been saying some good things about him lately. So talk to me about Beauchamp. What do you like about him? I think he's a bull in a wrecking – wow, there you go. A bull in a uh, jeweler store. I think he just wrecks bull, stuff. Bull in a china stock. There no, you go. I like my – thank you, but I prefer my way. No, I was quoting a movie there. <laughs> thank you for fixing it. Um <laughs> I just really like Beauchamp. I, I think he plays so damn hard that he just tries to find anything he can do to help on the court. Like he's positions themselves for like erratic shots to get the offensive rebound and put a tip in. He's showing that he's got some potential to space the floor and become a more consistent shooter. Hopefully he's shown some flashes off the dribble. He's shown some defensive versatility. The only thing that's annoying is his age, but I think there's still so much basketball that's waiting to come to, to rise to the surface. Like I just, every time I watch him, I find another thing that I love about him. And I just think I'm, I'm a sucker for the guys that play their ass off and he plays so damn hard on both sides of the ball. And I just, I think he's buzzing. I think this is the guy that's climbing. And I think NBA teams are really starting to fall in love with them. So I think Beauchamp's a guy that's going to be a quick riser. And he's one of those guys, each time you watch, you're you're trying to creep him up your boards because this is a guy NBA teams want. He's going to come in and just play his ass off and try to do anything he can to help his team in a better way. He he definitely looks, especially seeing him up close, he definitely looks like he, he plays like he's – forever grateful for this opportunity that he's gotten to play with the ignite team he you can just look at him and you can just tell like this this we, we know some of his backstory with the juco stuff like you can tell this dude's been through some shit and he's fought through it and he has fought tooth and nail to get to where he is today and he's gotten to the point where he's put in the work and he is climbing up draft boards rapidly 
Um, shout out to, to ESPN with Gavoni and Schmitz, but like they had them um, ranked up pretty highly on one of their most recent boards. I think they had him as high as 15, and there's some buzz that he could probably climb even higher into the lottery. And quite frankly, I, I might be there. Um, you, Tyler, you talked about the jump shot was a big question mark for him, but his last like three or four games, you flip on the film, he is stepping into these one-two dribble pull-ups like they're nothing for him. And he's hitting open spot-up threes. He was doing that in bunches when I saw him in Delaware. He ended that game with 25 points. He is putting the ball in the basket. We already knew how good of a defender he was. He's arguably, in my opinion, I think he's the best transition wing player in the class. You you guys might have an argument for that, but I think he's the best one. So, like, when you start to put these things together at a 6'6 size with length, like, what NBA team doesn't want Marjan Beauchamp? And – I think that should speak to his draft stock enough. Like, why should he not be in the lottery at this point? Corey, what were some of your impressions and takeaways from seeing him? I mean, he gave me everything I wanted to see. You know, like, I I, I pulled up, you know, the, the first thing I wrote about him uh, after his first game, and I wrote the most impressive Ignite prospect on the floor was Washington native Marjan Bochamp. And he's another Seattle guy, and I'll, I will bet on – you know, Seattle, Washington. Oh, I did, not know, I did um, not know that. That, yeah. Ooh, that might move up two spots just so it's okay. Go ahead. Yeah. So he, he's been a guy and I was super excited to watch him before the ignite season, because out of all the uh, ignite guys that I did background work on before watching his tape, I was like, Oh yeah, I like this. He's long. He's athletic. He can get his shot off. Like, Oh yeah, let's go. And um, after watching him the first time, I was like, all right, I'm in. Like, this dude, he just looks like modern NBA, like, in the form of a wing. And I think that he's been the best player. He's the highest Ignite prospect on on my board. I think he, he's been phenomenal, like you said, in transition. He finishes everything. It's the footwork, the feel in that area. And I'm an eye test guy when it comes to the shot. Like, yeah. I don't care if he's shooting, you know, the, the 27%, 28% or whatever. Like, it looks good. It's clean when it comes off his hand. There's nothing functionally wrong with the form. And at that point, it just becomes reps. And, um, you know, he's shooting it at NBA distance, which the college guys aren't. So, you know, he maybe he shoots it a little bit better. I love his how weird his developmental arc is. Like, yeah, he might be almost 21 years old, but he's not coming from the same developmental background as a lot of these other guys. He had a nope. weird path. And to me, like when you have a weird path, I think you can almost uh, not ignore age entirely, but like you can look at it in, in a way that it's not the same necessarily as somebody who might also be the same age as him. Like you look at Chris Duarte who was 24 or whatever. He also had a weird path. And I think, you know, just because he was older, doesn't mean that, there wasn't room for his game to grow because he didn't get those same growth opportunities as some of the other prospects who grew up in a more normal system. I think Marjan's kind of in that same boat and he's going from playing at the, you know, a lower level to all the way to this pro level. And he has not looked out of place at all. And now that he's doing some more stuff off the bounce that he feels comfortable with from the minute, I, the, the first game I watched him, I'm like, this dude is Josh Howard. And I can't get that out of my my mind. And Josh Howard would have fit perfectly into the modern NBA now as a oh, switchable, as a switchable, long, rangy, do a little bit of everything wing. I don't think Bochamp's going to be an all star in the league, but I think sure. that he's a guy who, literally, every team 
could be like, I can find a roster spot for this guy. I could find minutes for this guy. And uh, I, I'm really excited to see how his game grows because, like you said, he this kid wants it, and uh, he yeah. plays like it. He plays so hard. I think he's got you know all the intangibles I look for, all the skills I'm looking for. And in a draft like this where it just gets murky in, in that late lottery range, if he goes lottery, I'm not going to be shocked. I, I think right now he's, a, he's right outside of that for me, but um, I, 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 there's no doubt that he could play his way into that. His body language too, like when, when when you watch him, especially up close, like he'll get frustrated when he doesn't always do the right thing or make the right play. But it, it's a visible frustration, but he's it's not like out of place. He doesn't get like over emotional or angry, something that causes him to continue to mess up throughout the game. He kind of like checks himself, but he's measured. And I love that type of mature approach in a prospect's game. I think that exemplifies leadership and. Yeah, the, I, I really I really don't have too many negatives to say about Beauchamp. Like, obviously, he's not going to be somebody who is initiating offense or, like, running pick and rolls all the time. But at the same time, like, are you really going to be asking him to do those things anyway? Like, we're talking about somebody who's going to sprint to the corner, you know, be able to cut to the basket, which he is a really good cutter. Um, he, he recognizes those situations. He's going to play out in transition, and he's going to defend one-on-one. But he's also somebody who – is really good at recognizing situations that come up and double and trap. And he generally is able to poke the ball out, force a turnover, which is great because of how good he is in transition. Chances are he's getting the ball back and he's going to hammer home a dunk or he's going to glide around somebody one-on-one. He's still going to finish around the basket or finish the end one anyway. So he just has a package to me that screams like third or fourth option in in virtually any NBA lineup that we want to throw him into. And I think that player, especially in a draft class where we have so many unknowns, is incredibly valuable. Um, Now, if you would poll the majority of evaluators, I think they would probably still lean towards taking Dyson Daniels before Beauchamp. And we can, we can agree or disagree on that. I think I would, it's, it's really tough because when you see Daniels up close, I think he's, I know Sam Bassini and Matt Penny have reported this, and, and Penny just saw him up close as well. Like they've reported he's bigger than six six. Like I would agree with that. I think he's that. I, I think he's six seven. I don't know. I don't know. What I do you think? He's think closer, he is, I think he's closer to six four than six seven. Six I, four. Six yeah, four. Maybe six five. Uh, he's definitely six seven. Is crazy know. to me. Six seven is crazy. Know. I will acknowledge maybe the long neck gives him like an extra inch. I'll acknowledge that. His hair. His hair. His. <laughs> Six seven seems that's like Lamelo Ball territory. He, I, 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 that I don't know. I don't, it'll be interesting to see what he measures. Actually, that dude is big. That dude's big and he's long. And seeing him up close and personal, we knew about the defense coming in. He's arguably the best perimeter defender in the class. One through three doesn't matter. Generally, you're not getting by that dude. He is a disruptive defender like Beauchamp as well. He can absolutely pick your pocket, force the steal. I'm not as excited about him putting the ball in the basket offensively. He can finish at the rim in one-on-one situations. He can also be an effective force in transition, but we know the jump shot's been inconsistent for him. I talked about him at length with Chuck at chucking darts, and Chuck really thinks it's more of a, a, a confidence thing and a repetition thing. Like He just needs to get more comfortable taking those shots when, when they're given to him instead of trying to read the court, survey what's going on, and maybe try to make a pass elsewhere. Because he is a very uh, selfless player, and he does have good court vision. He has good feel for the game. He's younger than Beauchamp, which is why I think 
gun to a lot of evaluators' heads, I think they'd probably lean his direction. But I don't know, Corey, I, I think you kind of helped talk me into that as well, that I think Beauchamp would, is probably the guy who I would rather have on my team than Dyson Daniels, and I'm still a Dyson Daniels fan. Like, I think the both of them, matter of fact, if we're just going through it, I think Hardy, Beauchamp, and Daniels are all lottery prospects in this draft, which it's cra- It's a little crazy to say because we had guys like Steven Gillespie asking us early on, like, how many Duke guys do you think are going to go in the first round of this draft? And, like, I think the better question is how many Knight guys are going to go in the first round of this draft. Rucker, I don't know where you're at on, on Daniels, if you have any – strong opinions about him. Do you think that he's a lottery prospect or would you have him maybe a run or two below on your board? Yeah, he's a lottery to me. Um, I think the feel with him stands out to me more than anything. Just the, the feel for the game. He really shows some nice flashes. The height will be interesting. That's fascinating to hear you guys have two different person, you know, visions with that because I was like, well, if he's closer to six, seven, and Corey's staying closer to 6'4", like, you know, we're going to have to make some sort of bet when the official combine measurements come out between you two. But I really like... We see like, each other often enough. We can make a bet. We can... Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> there you go. I really like Daniels. Um, coming around on him late, uh, the more I've watched him, the more I've just been impressed with some of, like, the footwork he has, kind of the patience he has to let, you know, defenses create a window for him to attack. Um He's also shown some flashes where you can post him up and he kind of does some great footwork in the post where it's getting guys to sell for his fakes. So I think he's going to be a lottery guy. Um, I'm not saying I'm thinking he's top 10. I do think someone in that 10 to 14 range is going to be very intrigued with a potential 6'5", 6'6", guard that's young that shows that, you know, they have an all-around game potentially. And, you know, going back to Beauchamp, like, I think Beauchamp could crash the party. I really do think he could get up into the lottery. I think that's Which one would you them. rather have? Which one of the two would you rather draft? Just your personal opinion. It depends on my job. <laughs> I, I really, I'm really being serious. Like, am I a team that, like, I need to get an extension? I'd take Beauchamp. Um, am I a team that I've got some time to develop a potential really good piece? Like, I would take Daniels. I just think... Beauchamp, like I wanted to say this earlier and I just need to say it. Um, Beauchamp has taken so much strides offensively that I'm just so giddy about it. Like beginning of the year, he had a play. I think it was a coming off a handoff. He took a pull-up jumper and like, it looked like he missed it by five feet and he banked it in. But like the moment he released, he sprinted after it to get the rebound. Like I know how that feeling is because I can't shoot for shit. And now he's like dribble, pull up in rhythm and transition from deep. And it's just like, you could see the works being put in, the confidence is paying off. That's what gets me excited about him. And, and Daniels is also just showing like, he's taking strides when it comes to the feel. His playmaking has been fascinating to me. I think he's, he knows how to make defenses collapse and then dump off for fine guys. So I think they're both fascinating. I just think Beauchamp gives me like poor man's Sean Marion vibes and I love him. So yeah, if, if I needed to get an extension, I would probably be drafting Beauchamp. What makes this conversation fascinating, Corey, before I kick it over to you for more of your thoughts about Daniels is 
Beauchamp is is creeping upwards, at least from an offensive production standpoint, at the right time. And Daniels, the last few games, he he was he really did not stand out to me in, in the game against Capital City Gogos, and he certainly didn't stand out to me from a production standpoint in Delaware. I'm I'm curious some of your thoughts about his offensive repertoire after seeing him up close overall, because that that is a fascinating point to bring up. Like Beauchamp has absolutely gotten better as the season has gone on. And Daniels has been in a role where he definitely had more responsibility on his plate than I think even he could have necessarily envisioned. And now he's he's kind of like evened out to potentially trending a little bit downwards now that Scoot Henderson's been on the team and they've been able to give him the ball a lot more as the point guard run of the show. And I don't know. What, what do you think about Daniels? I, I think if you're a team and you're looking at Daniels, the, the guy that you – you want him to kind of become is like Lonzo Ball, where not a high usage playmaker in the half court, uh, but good enough feel to make plays when he's tasked to, when he, he, you're attacking gaps off a skip, um, maybe you run, you know, some stuff off a handoff or what, like just he doesn't put enough pressure on the rim that I feel comfortable giving the ball to him and letting him create as a primary guy in the NBA, but he does have the size, whether he's 6'5 or 6'7, to guard multiple spots. He does have enough of a handle, even if it's not breakdown level handle, yeah. to you know dribble the ball and run a pick and roll. I think he's yeah. got really good vision and feel. Um, the question with him will become, when teams sag off and go under on ball screens, are you going to be able to make them pay? And if he proves that he could do that, then his value goes up exponentially because now you got a, a really intelligent player that defends, can knock down shots, dribble, pass, shoot, that whole thing. That's what NBA teams want. You you want a guy who's versatile enough to play on or off the ball, fit in with your potential superstar, play off of that guy, and not give up anything on the other end. And I, I think that he has that potential. I don't think he's going to ever really impress you in a way that makes like you walk away going whoa Dyson Daniels just left an impression on me in that game like nobody else because that's not his game it's very slow and methodical and uh and then he'll you know do something it's not like he's a bad athlete or anything you know he's 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 good athletically um but it's very just low-key his game and and that's why I kind of say that like Lonzo Ball's the goal because it's a lot of the same type of stuff. I think Lonzo is a much higher level prospect. Obviously, I think he's going to be a high higher level impact player. But I think if you can get like a poor man Lonzo out of that spot, because you look at Lonzo and the role he's playing, he's not really the point guard in the sense that he initiates offense, right? Like DeRozan initiates most of the offense for the Bulls. Lonzo kind of spots up and plays off ball and then makes things happen when he can and where you really see him flourish his transition i think daniels when he has the ball in his hands getting a board and going coast to coast and making plays in transition where there's more space i think that's yeah. where you'll see him thrive as well uh so i like him as a prospect i'm not quite as high i, I don't have him as a lottery guy i see the argument for it where you you might just feel safer taking him uh in in a certain spot than some of the other guys who have downsides but uh, for me, I do think there's enough intrigue with some guys around the late lottery, around the 15 to 20 range, where 
you know, uh, Daniels would really have to wow me in workouts where I see like a much more dynamic player for me to really like go all in the way some other guys have, because like we just mentioned, he doesn't have that thing that makes you go fuck. Dyson Daniels is awesome, you know, and uh, I, I wanna I wanna see it, but I think he's a guy that is is a safe bet. But you're just not gonna get that high any real kind of upside outside of just like a strong rotational player. He, I think he does definitely have to get better shooting from the corners. Like if I like, like if I was telling Dyson Daniels like the first thing that I would want him to get better at as he goes to the next level be become a much better shooter from the corners to the point where when you're just spacing the floor and you're not necessarily involved in like a ball screen action, make sure that you are a legitimate threat because otherwise if you're just spacing the floor for absolutely no reason and you're not knocking down those shots when you get them, like how much value are you necessarily providing on the offensive end of the floor if you're not actively cutting like 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 a Beauchamp, for example? Like that that's what I would that, that's what I would tell him to to definitely look to improve on first and foremost. But Let's talk about the last guy who we'd be evaluating for this draft cycle for the G League Unite. I, I, so many people have tweeted positive things about Scoot Henderson, and I literally did the same thing when I saw him. I, I, I told Penny after I did the podcast with him like a month ago that I was going to try to wait until I saw Scoot to tweet about him. <laughs> because, like, what, what, what bad really is there to, to say about that guy? He is so impressive for a 17-year-old. Good gracious. But Michael Foster Jr. is the last guy that we can talk about. And I know Rucker and I might be cooking up a little something for no ceilings later in the week, spoiler alert, on him. But I asked Corey about him because he was going to see him in person. And Foster's become a really, really intriguing player for me to – where at the beginning of the year, I didn't know if he was a top 45 guy to now it's gotten to the point where I'm having a really hard time keeping him out of the first round. And I'm curious, Corey, to get your thoughts about him as a whole. I know that the main, the, the biggest thing to me that stands out is that he is not good defensively. Um, I, I think part of the reason is that Ignite's kind of had him playing in this center position. And if we want to talk about heights and measurements, like Foster's definitely not bigger than 6'8". I think his wingspan, Rucker and I were looking this up earlier, Basketball News has his wingspan at 6'11". So he's definitely undersized to be playing the five. And I just don't think his instincts and his awareness overall as kind of like that backline defender are there. So I think that Ignite's already doing him a disservice on the defensive end. But even so, like, he just lets up a lot of points, man. Like, like you can challenge him, you can go into him, and you can score on him. In, in that Capital City game, the, the game previous to the Delaware game, Greg Monroe was playing a lot of time for Capital City. And, like, you want to talk about a center who just has everything in the bag as he's just been around doing it for so long? Like, he gave Michael Foster the business, possession after possession after possession. So I really worry about finding a role for him defensively. But offensively, I come away, like, what really can't he do offensively on the basketball court? He may not be great at everything, but he's shown me a little bit of almost everything that you'd probably ask him to do, being being a role man, being a guy who can have pick and pop, who can catch, turn, face, knock down a jump shot around the elbow. He can post up. He can finish in transition. He runs the floor really hard. Like, he does a little bit of everything offensively to the point where I'm like, man, this guy could really fill it up. On, on an NBA floor and 
he he really could average a double double. He could be one of those guys that puts up a lot of numbers. But if he's giving up so much on the defensive end, like that's where you start asking yourself, like, well, if he becomes a wash, like how how good of a player actually is he? But I'm I'm curious to get some of your thoughts on Corey. I I don't know what happened when you went to see him and what happened when I went to see him, but <laughs> I would look I was looking at him and I'm like, this dude looks fucking huge. Like to me, I was like, if this dude is six eight, there's no way Dyson Daniel is anywhere close. I thought he looked gigantic, and I thought he looked like he had a pretty decent wingspan too. So I, we must have been all right. Well, one of one of us was incredibly into... intoxicated when, dude. when we went to go to the game. <laughs> dude, I I don't know. I th- and the other thing when I saw him, he was actually pretty good defensively. You know, I, he had a uh, uh, I don't know. I have the stats in front of me, but he he did a really good job protecting the rim being a deterrent, getting vertical. Um, I think he's got fairly quick hands. And the dude's chest was absolutely massive, so he could definitely take the physicality of, like, banging down low. Um, now, I, I, he was really intrigued. I was really impressed. I was probably more impressed by him than anybody else I'd seen because I was anticipating that Bochamp was going to have a good game. Yeah. Uh, Daniels played exactly the way I expected him to play, which is just like you walk around, walk away going, okay, I saw that. And, you know, Hardy, we've covered how he shot in the game. But Foster was like a pleasant surprise where I was like, all right, this is the kind of performance I want to see. Like he's making his presence felt on both ends. He's running hard to the rim in transition. He's protecting the rim. Uh, he's doing a lot of the little things that I want to see. I, you know, he's even showed a little bit of the ability to pass it. He's not always yeah. a great decision maker, but he is showing flashes of being able to, to make reads and pass and what, uh, which is a good sign, I think. So I, I walked away definitely thinking that he's a guy that is draftable. If a team took him in the first round, if they had good intel on him based on his time with the Ignite program, I would not blink an eye because there's definitely something there. He's definitely raw. He's definitely not going to be ready to contribute in a meaningful way early on. But if you are a believer in your program and your your G League team and how you can develop raw talent, I think he's a guy that's definitely worth taking a chance on. And, you know, when we're doing these boards and giving guys grades, like, you know, we're doing it a lot of times with no context of what a team is looking for and what their thought process is, how they plan on building out. Um, So while, you know, maybe I have him more in the the 40 range, something like that, uh, if he was taken at pick 28 by a team, I wouldn't think that that's unreasonable by any stretch. So how how would you approach so so if you thought that he showed you some good things defensively like like you're a coach like yeah. how would you how would you utilize him defensively do you think he's that kind of like backline protector type of dude like would you kind of try to have him play on the other teams like worst guy maybe try to have him like help inside as much as possible like how would you utilize him defensively I mean I think he's an NBA center I don't want him chasing around you know <laughs> Pascal Siakam or you know one of these six nine wing creators right I'm not asking him to check Jason Tatum by any stretch I would have him I think that you would want him to play like drop and and because I think he's mobile enough to kind of play cat and mouse and athletic enough to you know get to the ball handler and recover back to the big I think that's kind of the 
the scheme that I would want to see him in the most. Uh, I think that occasionally to switch things up, I do think he's athletic enough that you could send, you know, a blitz at a ball handler with him and hope that he can get back and recover. Uh, but, you know, I, I think early on, you don't want to do too many overcomplicated things sure. with him. You don't want to throw that too much that way. Let him be athletic. Let him be a, a disruptor, a playmaker in, in that sense where he is going to be able to just meet you at the rim, jump up and go vertical and, and make your life hard. Because like I said, I think he's got the body to absorb contact. Like, I was like, Jesus, like how many? Oh, he's strong. No. Yeah, I, I didn't say that he wasn't like yeah, built really no, well. Right, but yeah. I was like, this dude has been bench pressing all like all week for this. Like I, his chest is massive. So I think that he's going to have, a, uh, you know, the physicality won't necessarily be a problem. And I think he's going to be able to handle bigger centers. No, he's not going to guard Embiid or Jokic. Nobody right. is. But uh, is he going to be able to bang with Daniel Gafford? Yeah, I think he's going to be able to bang with Daniel Gafford and, and guys like that. So um, that's kind of my initial take on how I'd use him. And then, you know, you you see what you got in, in limited minutes. He's not going to be a high minutes guy. He's, you know, hopefully just a guy who you could be like, hey, play your butt off on that end, protect the rim, try to get your hands in the passing lanes and try to make some some stuff happen. Rucker, you you would kind of put in the group and you, you tagged me in a message. You're like, I'm starting to come around on Michael Foster. So what what are some of the things, uh, now that you've had a little bit of time to, to watch some film on him, what are some things that have stood out to you about him? You know, this is just the guy that if I was wanting um, a big to develop at the end of the first and I snuck back up there and got Michael Foster, I would be so pumped. Like, this is the guy I would just draft him. I'd say, you're, you're going to spend another league in G, another year in the G League. I just really am intrigued with, you know, offensively, the outside shot looks strong. Um, there's just some good flashes of footwork all over the place he's humongous like he's just a force he just turned 19 um he looks lengthy so when i was looking up his wingspan i was a little shocked i was like he looks bigger than that like yeah. he looks bigger than six eight so i was just like okay like I i'm intrigued um he runs the floor like hard like I, I just kept checking boxes and it's weird because defensively like i saw i was watching him on defense like protecting the rim he gets up a little bit quicker than you think. Like, there's some pop off the floor. He's a pretty intriguing two-foot leaper. Like, that man will all of a sudden just, like, explode up out of nowhere, especially, like, skying for rebounds. On the yeah, and, and I saw him, someone threw a floater up at him, and he, like, from a flat foot, just top, at the very top, blocked it. And I was like, that was some pop. Like, you had to get up for that. So, yeah. there's intriguing... Um, like, a, I'm a nerd, so I just started doing it. And thanks for the G League for stopping to keep track of all your game log stats. It's really helpful for all of us. So, first 15 games, he was averaging 14, 8.6, and 1.7 blocks a game while shooting 46% from the field. His last five games, he's at 18.2 points, 8.8 rebounds, 2.4 blocks, 58%. So, like, Nathan, you, you said it to me earlier in the year. You're like, Foster's starting to kind of come alive. And... Today, finally, I dove into his film and I was like, okay, like this would be a guy that I'd be pumped to take a swing at the end of the first where it's like, I'm the same way as Corey. I kind of have him in that, you know, early 40s, maybe even higher range right now. I'm trying to kind of figure out where I want to put him. It would not surprise me if someone was a believer 
if he had a good pre-draft workout where he's shooting the crap out of the ball and still very young, um, like I said, just turned 19, like it would not shock me if he ends up as a end of the first round, like strong developmental staff, someone like Toronto, they, they jump back in, they stash him, their staff gets to work with him for an entire year. And then you just reap the benefits. Like, I, I think there's some intriguing tools there. I definitely think that's one of the guys that deserves a little bit more attention from the G League team, although there's some really good prospects. I think Michael Foster's starting to heat up at the right time. And by the way, I don't want anybody to necessarily be overly concerned about some of the, the shooting percentages they might see when they look up for Foster. Like, yeah, he's only shooting 48.7% from the field as a big, but he's also taking a lot of face-up jumpers. Right. So that, that, that factors into it as well. He's not doing as much at the basket as we probably like him to. They don't usually post him up a ton. He's generally finishing off lobs or in transition. But, yeah, he has he has really stood out to me. I mean, I saw him in warm-ups. Like, he was practicing, like, sizing somebody up with a few dribble moves and then, like, stepping back and knocking down jumpers. And some of them looked really, really smooth. And I'm like, Jesus, if he has this in his bag, like, if this is something he can eventually develop, like, yeah, why are we not talking about <laughs> this guy, like, like, at the back end of the first? And I, I – Corey made a good point that, like, whether you have him, like, the 28th or 30, or whether you have him, like, in the low 40s, like, that, that's a – 25 to, like, 45 is about as wide of a range, I think, in this draft as any. So we're we're talking about splitting hairs, I think. Even with that wide, like, a 20-pick range, we're, we're really splitting hairs with some of these guys. But, yeah, he's somebody who's who stood out to me, and I I may have him ranked in the first round of, of my big board the next time we, we do an update. We'll, we'll see where he is on the no ceilings composite board the next time we do it. That, that'll be really fun to see. But I think we've had a really good conversation about these guys. Um, Corey, I apologize. I was a terrible host because I did not plug your Jaden Hardy piece at the beginning of this podcast, which you referenced it. But by the way, that was, that was phenomenal. Everything you write Thank for you. us is incredibly creative. Like I, I actually get a little jealous when I read some of your stuff. Like, damn, I'm not this creative with, with, with I, my writing. I wish I could be. I appreciate that, man. You know, I look, one of the things we're trying to do with no ceilings is bring you fun content that isn't the same boring drivel that you get throughout the internet, which some of the boring drivel is really good reads and you can learn a lot from it, but we want to, you know, take a spin. And that's so I think one of the good, the cool things about having such a great team is that it, it pushes me to be creative and do something different because everybody's just sending out heat every morning to people's inboxes. So, um, I, I'm trying to, trying to do my part to keep, keep that train rolling and, and the, you know, the fire coming out of the, uh, the keyboard. Pl plug yourself, Corey, plug, plug your, your handle, your podcast, plug everything that you're doing for us. Uh, yeah. At Corey Talba on Twitter, uh, You'll find all the links there, but NBA Draft Dude on YouTube got a film sesh on Paolo Boncaro, hopefully coming out next week. I've been saying that for the last, like, three weeks on my <laughs> podcast, uh, which is the Draft Act NBA Draft Podcast. And uh, as when this podcast is out, I'll have another piece that already went live on No Ceilings, um, my Tuesday column uh, called What Would Masai Do? Little little hint coming out about building... Uh, drafting for identity so i'm excited for that piece to come out 
And uh, yeah, make sure you subscribe to that No Ceiling Substack, boys and girls. Rucker, do what you do every single week on my podcast and plug No Ceilings. No Ceilings.substack.com, absolutely free. I don't understand why you haven't subscribed to it. Do it or Nathan's going to hunt you down. No, I'm kidding. Um, it's It's been fantastic. Awesome team of writers that are only getting better and making me have to really, really, really try to get better at my writing because they're so talented. So please follow us there. Follow us at No Ceilings NBA on social media and our YouTube channel is starting to really kick ass so that's no ceilings tv so please follow us everywhere and of course follow nathan at draft deeper what are you doing follow me on twitter at draft deeper subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast apple podcast spotify youtube and yeah go subscribe to that Substack. i just put out a column where speaking of boring and drab i, I put out a 5700 word monster on the rookie class. We have not written about the rookies quite yet on our Substack. I'm sure more of us will, will contribute in that space soon, but I figured why not give these guys their, 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 their due because they've been absolutely phenomenal this year. The 2021 draft may go down as the deepest draft class in, in NBA history. We'll, we'll see if that actually bears out, but there have been some really, really impressive players. I think the fact that I took the time to write about like 16 guys that says something about the, that draft class. Cause I, I can't picture myself writing as many words about that many guys about this class, the same time next year as, as I did that class. But that being said, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Again, no ceilings.substack.com come along for the ride. We're doing incredibly fun things every single day, Monday through Friday, and we'll keep the draft content rolling. So thank you all have a wonderful rest of your week.